chapter 15 is where we're going to be at this morning. And uh, as we're kind of moving into it, you know, I was thinking this week that I've always been intrigued by the idea of a doppelganger or a twin stranger, maybe you've heard it called. Maybe you ask yourself, well, what is a doppelganger? Well, the, the idea of a doppelganger is that there's someone in the world who's basically a copy of you, that they look exactly like you, that they share all your mannerisms, that they share your features. Uh, you know, they're not connected to you biologically, but they're just like you in every way uh, you know, it's, this idea is more of a mythology or a fantasy type idea, but it has been the source uh, of subject of a lot of, of books and movies and even social media games where we try to look at celebrities and see which one is your, uh, your, your doppelganger or whatever. But specifically in the, in the mythology of it, in, in movies and books mostly, the way that this is represented is usually there's two individuals at opposite ends of the spectrum of morality. That there's one that is good and there's one that is evil. There's one that's successful and then there's one that's, that's not successful. And so a lot of times what ends up being kind of the climax of these events is the conflict that happens between these two individuals. These two copies of each other that look alike, that act alike, that could easily represent each other in one way, shape, or form. And so what happens is the one that is evil or the one that is, 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 is worse off tries to interject himself into the lives of, uh, of the one who is, is, is good or the one who is better off. And so usually within books and movies, that's where the conflict comes from. You know, and as we've been looking at the life of Saul, you know, and as I've just thought about for us as Christians and for us as individuals, that, that we are in, in kind of the same way waging this war against a spiritual doppelganger. Uh, we're waging war against uh, this individual within us, this nature, as the Bible would talk about it, this nature within us that is fighting its way to the surface to be a representation of who we are, other than for us as Christians, where we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, that there's this other nature, as the Bible would call it in Romans 17, uh, in Romans 7, 18, where Paul says that it's this, uh, that this nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, that there's this fleshly nature that is fighting itself to the surface, that does not do good, that does not, as uh, God's commandment would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that this fleshly nature does not want those things, that the fleshly nature within us wants what's good for us, wants what satisfies us, wants, wants what makes me happy as a very individualistic, focused individual uh, that is fighting its way from within us. You know, Romans 7, 23 kind of speaks to this more. He says, but I see in my members or in myself this war raging, that it's against uh, the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. And so he's telling us, Paul is now telling us that in a sense there's a spiritual doppelganger, as the Bible way would say it, that there's two natures within us that are fighting out for control of us that are fighting uh, for uh, dominion, that are fighting for their place as a representative of who we are. And what we've seen from Saul, after chance, after chance, after chance, he's been given to follow the Lord and, and, and to allow the Spirit of God that didn't dwell him, that was dwelling him, to be at the forefront, that we see that, uh, that his other part, his counterpart, or his evil spiritual doppelganger, or the, the fleshly nature of it, is, has made its way to the prominent figure of his life, living out his selfish will, drawing Saul into selfish decisions, drawing Saul away from obedience to the Lord. Uh, and, that, that, and as we say that, and as we even 
taking on Saul, because in reality, in all his faults, small failures, I probably relate better to Saul at times than I do to David, just because of that draw to selfishness, that as people, that, that at our core, we're drawn to what makes us comfortable, we're drawn to what makes us happy, and inevitably, that drawing leads us away from the obedience of God, leads us away from stepping in line with what he's called us to, and that's what we'll see this morning. Uh, and, and as we kind of take heed of the warnings of Saul's experience to be, you know, as this whole series has been about uh, who is king and that God being king over us, that as we walk in our own schemes and that we're leaders in our own spaces, influencers in our own lives, that we will be better in those spaces because uh, we know that, that, that God has given us these kingdoms and that we're observing ourselves honestly and evaluating our struggles so that we can be better leaders and workspaces in the kingdoms that God has given us. And so what we read here in 1 Samuel 15, we're going to read this verse to kind of uh, move us forward, but we'll see what's happening, what's finally happening, begins to happen in Saul's life because he has allowed his fleshly nature, he's allowed the nature counter to God's nature within him to move to the forefront. And it says this in, uh, in 1 Samuel 15 verse 28, it says, and Samuel said to him, talking to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours. And so what we see is this message proclaimed by Samuel. And so the question that we ask ourselves and what we evaluate moving forward to be able to learn from to heed the warning of is why does he say this? Why is Samuel saying this to Saul? What has Saul finally done? You know, what has finally begun to reveal itself about the true nature of who's in control of Saul's life at this point. And uh, what we see this morning is I believe we see three things that can show us how we navigate defeating what I've subtitled this message this morning. How do I defeat my own enemies? Um, the, the, the true enemy within me being my own enemy. My own worst enemy is me. My own worst enemy is the nature within me that draws itself away from God, drawing self-gratification and self-exaltation and self-provision rather than godly provision, dependence on who God is, reliance on who he is and what he's done and being confident in the calling that he's made on my life. And I believe there's three things this morning that we can see and learn from. And the first thing for Saul that we see is that Saul lost sight of his anointing. He lost sight of his anointing. I love that here at the very beginning of 1 Samuel 15 and even later on, uh, this chapter, Samuel reminds Saul of who he is in the Lord. First uh, Samuel 15 and 1. First Samuel 15 and 1, uh, Samuel says this. He says that I came. He says, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. He says, because of who you are and because God has chosen you, listen to the instructions that he has. You know, this word anointed means to consecrate or to establish or to set apart for something greater. Samuel is reminding Saul. The same thing that he told him back in 1 Samuel chapter 9. You can go back and look at that. 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 16. He reminds him. He says, God has chosen you. That you were chosen to be where you are. And not only that, but he's, he's, he's reminding him of who God is. Samuel's redirecting his confidence. He's reestablishing his allegiance to the one who had given him the kingdom that he had. He's telling him, not only has God chosen you specifically to be where you are, but also reminding him that everything you 
nothing good or perfect that I've gained for myself, that it's what God has given me. God has placed some of these things into my life, and God has provided. God has for Saul, God provided all the prestige and the provision that he would ever need. But for Saul, it wasn't enough. For Saul, it wasn't enough. So he lost sight of the fact that God had chosen him and provided for him. But for Saul, what we see is that it's not enough, and that he's drawn away from it. You know, and, and I believe where Saul falls is in this idea that we hear all the time uh, this concept that I've talked about before, but that the grass is greener mentality, that there's, there's better for me than what I'm doing or what I have now, that there's more beyond this, that there's something that I'm missing out on, or there's something that God's withholding from me that I'm not being able to experience uh, because God's withholding from me. You know, and, um, you know, what I've learned in my life in the midst of my stupidity, in the midst of my failures and my ignorance and my selfishness mostly, is this idea that that maybe the grass is greener, but the reality is grass is green when you water it. And so maybe the grass is green when you get there, but just like every other situation, unless you tend to it, no matter where you are, it all dies without taking the obedient steps it takes to see it live. Everything dies unless you take the steps it needs to see it live. Because the grass may be greener, but the moment you get there, it begins to die unless you're giving it the attention that it needs. You know, this is what leads us away from being faithful in our marriages. This is what leads us away from being satisfied with the life that God's given us. Is we, we begin searching outside of the will of God, trying to find something to fill this void. We think that maybe there's something better for me. But what we end up doing is we go from one extreme to the next, or one moment to the next, finding that, yeah, the grass is green for a moment until it dies out because the reality of the situation is of where Saul would begin to fall away is that he wasn't pouring into or giving attention to the God-given gift that he had given him. He was too busy looking for other things, too busy looking outside of what God was providing for satisfaction and joy, only to constantly be needing more, only to constantly be not only had he lost sight of his anointing that God had chosen him, that God was giving and providing for him, but he also, he also chose his own way. He also chose his own way. And so in this time, what God has done is God, through Samuel, has given Saul a command, and he tells him, he says, look, the people, the Amalekites, these, these, these people are evil. These people have bullied Israel. These people have taken advantage of Israel. Back in Deuteronomy 25, 18, we see this take place, and he tells him, he says, they've been a source of oppression and destruction for the people of Israel, and we're going to destroy them. And he said, I'm using you to accomplish this task. And so he tells Saul, he tells him to wipe out all the people, don't leave anything left, don't leave anything else. But Saul makes his own decision in verse 9, verse 8 59. But Saul and the people spared Agog, who is the king, accounted as Pharaoh of the Malachites, spared Agog and the bear. So there were some things that they kept for themselves. And he says, it says, and all that was good would not, would, would not destroy them. They kept some of the animals. They kept what they saw as valuable. They kept what they saw as the best. Saul just decided to save some and to not get rid of them. So when God was looking at the kingdom of Israel, he told them, he said, for the sake of his kingdom, you need to get rid of all of these people. Because They've been oppressive for you. They've been uh, they've been a, a, a source.
source of destruction for you. It says we need to get rid of it. And so what does Saul do? He decides to not completely follow the, the instructions of God. He decides to hold on to some. He decides to go through and keep certain things, holding on to it, even cherishing it. Maybe for his own glorification, maybe for his own provision. And what he's done is he's partially obeyed the instructions of God. But what we have to understand is that partial obedience is the same as total disobedience because we're still missing what God has instructed us to do. Maybe he's saying to himself, God didn't really mean what he said. Uh, and, and, you know, for us, the only way we can navigate sin and disobedience is if we convince ourselves of something. You know, and, and what's sad about this moment or what I feel like is very reflective of our lives and kind of our personal kings that we're living in and leading in is that not only did Saul do this, but after that it says that the people also did this too, that they were in, uh, in agreement with this. But then later on in 2 Samuel, we see these very people that God had instructed Saul to take care of, this, this, this infestation of people to, to move away from him, to, 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 to clean out. These same people would later on come and attack the king, that these same people would later on would come and kidnap women and children, that they would take uh, families from, from uh, some of David, who was king at that time, some of David's families. And so the thing is, for us as, as leaders and influencers in our own personal kingdoms, if there are things that are causing damage in our lives, that we know is drawing us away from the Lord, or maybe setting our families up for future destruction, we need to heed the calling of God that's telling us to clear those things up. That stop holding on to pet sins. Maybe stop holding on to things that are a source of comfort that, but are ultimately leading to our destruction or the destruction of our kingdoms that we've been given control of. You know, in a lot of ways, uh, the, the imagery of Agog can be the equivalent of sparing some of the root of evil and sin in our own lives. You know, that there are things, there are sources of our lust, there are sources of our anger, there are sources of our anxiety that we're allowing to stay in our lives that God has self-gratification and self-exaltation, those things are drawing you away uh, from what I'm called you to. And, and what Saul did is he kind of manipulated the command of God to fit what he wanted. But the thing we have to remember is that we are not free to change his word to find our needs or to justify our actions, where too often that's what we do. That's what we do. Then we try to paint it in a light as if we're doing the right thing for, for, for others' sake. You know, he says it here, we kind of see a reflection of where this truly comes from, where this truly uh, shows itself for Saul and even in our own lives in 1 Samuel 15, 15. See what he says here, he says, he says, I have spared the best. He says, I've spared the best for what? He says, to sacrifice to the Lord. So he's telling me, he says, I've, I've saved all this because I'm, I'm giving to the Lord. I'm giving to the Lord. But what does he say here? He says that I've, I've saved the best, I've spared the best, and sacrificed to the Lord, your God. You know, and we can move past that verse so quickly and miss that, but we have to really see how Saul responds. He says, to the Lord, your God. You know, there's twice just in this chapter that Saul says that same phrase, to the Lord, your God. In verse 21, he says it there when he's talking to Samuel. What we see is we see a disconnect. We see an obvious disconnect that the decisions he was making were not based on God because 
God wasn't his God. God wasn't his God. He said he, he was speaking of God as if he was at a distance, not taking ownership. As Paul, I love how when Paul talks about God, he says, my God or my gospel, really grabbing a hold of the truth and the promises that come in the provision that comes with God being your God in a personal way. But he says that, that, that this is your God. So God wasn't his God, but on himself as God. That he was making the decisions. That he was self-idolizing. That the, the, the source of his worship and the source of his decision-making was from himself. That he was making those decisions. You know, and, uh, and, and Samuel has to remind him. You know, that Saul, you're doing all these things as kind of this outward representation of some type of a religious order. And Saul has to, uh, Samuel has to remind Saul in uh, 1 Samuel 15, 22. He says, Behold, to obey is better, and to listen is better. He tells him, he says, Look, you're doing all these, you're abiding by all these religious expectations, but you're missing the very heart of God. You're missing the very heart of God because you're not doing these things out of this place of love and understanding of who God is and what God's done for you. You've lost sight of your anointing. We established that. But now you're choosing your own way not to please God, but to please yourself. Because to please God is walking in obedience. It's listening to Him, leaning into what God has for us. It's not playing the religious game. It's not, uh, you know, for us trying to make that more practical. It's not just about going to church. It's not just about making a, a religious post on Facebook. This is seems spiritual. You know, that's not what it's all about. He tells him. He says, he tells Saul, and it's really a reflection of, 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 of a constant theme through the Old Testament where, yes, there is ritual. Yes, there is uh, um, sacrifices. Yes, there are these things, these sacraments that are done, but they're not done for God's sake. They're done from this place of an outward representation of our hearts, of what God's doing with us, what God's doing for us. Hosea 6, 6, he says, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burn offerings. He says, he would rather us, he would rather love, he would rather acknowledge and understanding of who God is, rather than some kind of empty religious representation. Ecclesiastes 5, 1, he says, To draw near to listen to God. To draw near to God to listen. Jeremiah 7, 22 and 23 says that it's better to obey my voice and I will be your God. And you shall be my people and walk in the way that I command you and that it may be well with you. He says that when we are loving God and drawing near to God, Mark 12, 33, it says, and to love him, to love him. We love because we know that he first loved us. Mark 12, 33 is to love him with all our heart and with all understanding with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all uh, than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He tells him he says listen you can't love the Lord your God and you can't love your neighbor when the things that you do the religious things you do are from a place of, of empty of empty works of empty uh, uh, you know obedience whether we're just trying to earn something, earn some type of respect, earn some type of pedigree. He says those things are empty if it's not from this place of listening to God, of understanding God, of loving God, and drawing near to who he is. And so not only has he chosen his own way, but the last thing this morning is that he has chosen his own name. And he's chosen his own name. And when I say that, he's chosen to exalt his own name. 
claims that I'm doing these things for your God. When in reality, what we see is that he's doing these things for his own glory. He's doing these things for his own namesake. He's doing these things for his own legacy. You know, and when, when the, the other, the counterpart of the godly nature of it begins to make its way to the top and really begin to represent itself in the way that we live, this is what happens. Is that especially, you know, when we see this, unfortunately, in, in our church culture, we see this in the culture uh, of the world even, that, that life is all about me. That it's all about what makes me comfortable. It's all about what makes me happy. It's all about, you know, you know, even in the midst of this uh, virus that's going around, people are more worried about how it affects me rather than about how we live and how we go and how we affect other people or how other people are navigating this or how other people are suffering in the midst of this, uh, this virus that's uh, affecting people right now. We can be so self-centered and so focused and so... Uh, focused on what we want and what makes us happy. And for Saul, what we can learn from him is that he lost the kingdom because he chose his own name. He chose his own name to exalt. First Samuel 15, 12. First Samuel 15, 12, it says that Saul came called, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. He set up a monument for himself. That in the midst of this, even right after this in verse 13, that Saul would still argue that I'm doing the right thing. He says that I'm doing the right thing. He says that, you know, I brought them, uh, you know, I've spared the best, uh, the oxen, the sacrifice to the Lord your God, uh, and that we, that rest we have devoted to destruction. You know, he tells them that, that he still is so convinced that he's done the right thing by God. But ultimately, the monument of the victory, he's still putting in his own name for himself. So that, that, this, that people can look and they won't say, oh, God's done this. They'll say, oh, this is a monument to Saul. That Saul has accomplished this. That Saul is the one that did these things. You know, choosing to honor himself. He was blinded by his sin. He was blinded by what he had done wrong. And he was ultimately giving himself credit, believing that all he had done was because of him, missing where he had been. You know, in verse 13, he, he, he just says again and again, he says, well, look, I, I'm doing this. I'm offering this. The thing that we have to remember is that sin is blind, that it settles into our minds, keeping us from seeing the faults of our ways. Sin, sin blinds us, having us think that we are doing what we need to be doing. But ultimately, if those things that we are doing are elevating our own thing, are elevating our own comfort, or elevating our own desires, or, or just really focusing in on ourselves, then we are missing we are missing. You know, because what's crazy about this is that Saul would say this. He would say, you know, I'm doing what you told me to do. I've gotten rid of all of it. I've, I've you know, we've, we've put the rest to destruction. What's crazy about this is that Agar, the evidence that he hasn't done it, and then the animals that they would have saved and kept, uh, they were right there. The evidence of his disobedience were within eye shot of where they were. There was visible evidence that he hadn't followed the Lord. Right there. You know, if we're really honest with ourselves, we can find evidence of our disobedience around. You know, and this isn't to shame us, but this is to show us that, that we may be living out, we may be living out the counterpart to the spiritual uh, uh, nature of our life. We may be living out to our own selfish desires. We may be 
like Saul, uh, drawing near to our own, drawing near to our own way, and forgetting the anointing that God has given us in the kingdom that we walk. And we know that because Saul continues on in verse twenty-one. He says, "But the people said." He, he doesn't own his own sin. He, he blames it on other people. But then we really begin to see in verse twenty-four where his heart goes wrong. In verse twenty-four, he says, "Because I feared the people and obeyed their spirit." You know, the thing we have to remember is that our fears lead to forgiveness. You know, Saul he was afraid. He was afraid that people would reject him. He was afraid that people would not follow him. And so what happened is it led him to this place where he began to seek their approval by following their voice, by following their opinions, and trying to do things the way that they were that, that he thought that they wanted, that he thought would be better for them. But what he forgot is that in obedience to the Lord, the people would be provided for. And so for us in our own life, that for me as a father, that if I begin to step out and to do things based off of the expectations of the world around me, it will not lead me to a godly obedience. It will lead me to an obedience that will constantly be searching for more approval, that will constantly be searching for more stability, that will constantly be searching for more and allowing me to forget, forgetting why I have what I have, and it will lead us to go in our own wisdom, in our own direction. You know, when Saul was grasping for this approval, even in verse 30, he tells Samuel, after Samuel has told him over and over again, man, you've done wrong, this is not right, you're disobeying the Lord. Samuel says in, in, in 15, uh, he tells him, he tells him, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. He was more worried about honor before man than he was worried about honor before God. we are driven by our selfishness. 
the nature he has called us to leave behind is the one holding us back. It's the one that is, that, that is holding us back, the one forgetting who called us, the one forgetting the way he has called us to walk, the one that is calling us to forget the reward that comes with our obedience and walking in step with God's anointing and God's calling for our life, the one focusing on his own name as center. We are not the center of the story of God. But when we're walking obedience to God's calling, we enjoy the benefits of his calling, of his glory, of, of, of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Ephesians 4.22 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. In Romans 7, 24-25, the ending of that section that we talked about, talking about our nature, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God and Jesus Christ. Church, the way that we move away from this fleshly nature, this, uh, this evil spirit, the doppelganger that's trying to fight its way into our life, that's trying to take its place in, in our actions and in our decisions, the way that we do that, the way that we find that hope is in You know, uh, this Sunday being uh, being Palm Sunday. You know, and, and we know from Scripture that in that time, on that Sunday, that they were welcoming the king into their kingdom, only to turn on him later on. I pray that we would welcome the king of kings into our kingdom. That we would understand that it's through resting in our confidence in him. Him being the king of kings and, 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 and following in obedience to the spirit of God within us. You know, because the Bible tells us we can do no good apart from the spirit of God. So it's in resting in that spirit, resting in that version of us that he gives us. That, that is not all about selfish gratification. That is not all about self-exaltation. That is about God glorification. And selflessness, concern for other people, concern for their needs, concern for my, my spouse's needs, concern for my family's needs. That's when I follow the Spirit of God that every person in my kingdom will benefit from. And so I want to leave us with this this morning. That the way we lead and care for our kingdom is rejecting our selfish desires, following the lead of our King of Kings to guide us, remembering our anointing, Relying on his way above my own and realizing his name is the only name worthy of praise, especially above mine. Because God is good. God is a good God who loves and cares for his people. And, and God's intention was to love and to care for Saul and his kingdom. But Saul, Saul lost focus. Saul started to seek his own fleshly satisfaction rather than resting in the spirit that God had given him. And I pray that we would be led and cared for in our kingdom by rejecting selfish desires, following the lead of the King of Kings, remembering our calling, remembering His anointing, that where you are as a believer is where God wants you to be, and that God's chosen you for a task in your life. He is an influencer and leader, the King of the Kings of Kings. I pray that we would do that as husbands, as wives, as, as moms, as dads, 
God, and I thank you that as the king of my little kingdom that I live in, God, that if I would rest in you, God, not gratify my own flesh, not satisfy my own desires, but God, lean into what you have for me, desperately seeking you, desperately praying to you, desperately being obedient to you, that you will always bring us to good, that you will always bring us to victory. God, I pray that we would not lose sight of I pray that we would not ever choose our own way, but you, your way. God, I pray that we would not ever choose our own name, but worship that you, your name above all names. God, we're broken people, and you, we know that you know that. God, but help us to realize where we are. God, you've called us to, to ask for forgiveness. God, you've called us to draw near to you even in our brokenness. God, I pray that we would do that. God, knowing that you want us to adequately be Lead us into the spaces, into the places, into the